When I came on the case, Kiki Camarena had been kidnapped and tortured by the drug lords because he had caused them great losses in seizing 10,000 tons of marijuana in Chihuahua, Mexico. At the very beginning, I started to think something's wrong here. In 89, they assigned you to go investigate what really happened with Kiki Camarena and those that assigned you was the DEA. Why was Kiki blindfolded? And why was he tape recorded? Hector, he says, you don't know what you've gotten yourself into. We killed Kiki Camarena. I said, what do you mean we? You don't see this cartel model slowing down for decades. The women were raped. There were three babies left in baby chairs, and they lit fire to the cars and burnt those babies to death. Why were you not afraid of them? I had a reputation of a badass. When the cartel wants to kill somebody, they machine gun him down wherever he's at. You're saying the Mexican government is supporting several of these cartels. They have the back end of the government. Totally. The CIA is inundating our inner cities with cocaine. So who is the person that actually killed Kiki? Did you ever get a chance to meet him face to face? No, but I would love to. You would love to meet him? i probably give him one beating for Kiki Camarena. Look, if you've been following Vitamin for a while, you know we've had a lot of different kinds of guests, whether it's mobsters from Mob Family, Sammy, a lot of folks from that end. We've had uh, Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, who the documentary, the series, Narcos on Netflix. And uh, we've talked about a lot of different topics. Today, my guest is Hector Bereles, who his recent series on Amazon, The Last Narc, as well as a book that just came out, September 15th, a memoir by the DEA's most notorious agent book. I want to kind of give him a little bit of background for you to know who we're going to be listening to today. Uh, he uh, was the former supervisor, DEA supervisor and special agent with 30 years extensive experience in counterterrorism and narcotics enforcement. He is recognized as one of the most highest decorated drug enforcement agent in the history of the Bureau. He received the Federal Bar Association Medal of Valor, the Federal Executive Board Chairman Special Award, and is credited for his handling and solving of the kidnap, torture, and murder of undercover DA agent Enrique Kiki Camarena by drug traffickers in Guadalajara, Mexico, in which Hector received the prestigious DEA Administrator's Award. Having said that, Hector, thanks, thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Thank you for having me, sir. It's a pleasure. Uh, I, I just want to make sure you are not currently in Guadalajara, right? Because I want to make sure you're safe. Uh, no, sir. Thank God I'm not there. Yes. Okay. So we just want to make, we want to make sure this interview it starts and finishes on time and we're able to go through all the questions. So, you know, uh, I was following the story of the last narc and I was seeing what's going on with Amazon. And there almost seemed to be a lot of controversy behind this book that you were launching where there were a lot of organizations that almost didn't want you to write this book. There were a lot of organizations that didn't want the last narc to be on TV. They didn't want people to see it. And some of them were government and there was some lawsuits going on. Amazon, you know, they didn't want people to know about this. So can you kind of give us the challenges you guys faced before getting the story to be released to the public? Well, quite frankly, the CIA, of course, were highly opposed uh, to the story that I'm putting out, which is the truth regarding Camarena's death. And of course, the DEA is also not very happy with the fact that after 30 years, their whole narration, their fake story, uh, basically has been uh, exposed by me because uh, Kiki Camarena was basically uh, killed on orders of our own government. 
So, so okay, so so because of that, CIA, the fact that they the orders were given by our own government to ki- kill Kiki Kamarena, you're saying people still till today don't want that story to be told, even though that was 30 plus years ago? That is totally correct. Kiki Kamarena was ordered kidnapped to be interrogated because he had unknowingly stumbled into a CIA, NSC, covert gun running operation. Uh, they were supplying uh, weapons secretly to the Nicaraguan Contras. Got it. And so, so you know, you know how sometimes, like I'm from Iran, and there was a movie that came out about Iran uh, called uh, uh, Argo, which Ben Affleck was in it. I don't know if you had a chance to see it or not. It was a story about what happened in the revolution in Iran in 79. And they didn't want to tell the story about how this organization came out with a fake movie and they were able to go to Iran and get a lot of the U.S. Uh, folks that were, uh, you know, held hostage over there. And he was able to release them to a fake movie that they were making. But the story was told 30, 30 years later. Why is it such a challenge that they don't want this story to be told? Because it's not like it's the current president or the prior president. What's their biggest fear if we find out the truth about what happened with Kiki? Well, currently with the FBI being exposed to be basically a corrupt agency, the CIA doesn't want to be accused of being the same thing. Uh, they don't want it to be exposed to this date that they were involved in ordering Camarena picked up, interrogated, and subsequently tortured. And of course, the DEA, who was at that juncture working in, in uh, complicity with the, with the CIA, they were working in, in, in partnership, they also did not want it exposed that that Camarena basically uh, was ordered kidnapped and interrogated by the CIA. Why, though? Why? Because they shows complicity on their part. Here, the DEA is supposed to be fighting the war on drugs, and the CIA is the major cartel bringing in like 80% of the cocaine in the 80s. So here we had working for an administration that was okay with funding an unauthorized war in Nicaragua with drug monies. The CIA notoriously, because they don't work under constitutional law, no constitutional parameters, they're not a law enforcement agency. Notoriously, they have basically aligned themselves with criminal cartels, paramilitary groups uh, from other countries and also intelligence agents from other countries uh, to do whatever it takes, uh, they say, in preserving the national security of the United States. So, so Hector, now for some people that haven't read the book or they haven't seen the series on Amazon, uh, is, the, is the lawsuit still pending or that's been scored away and Amazon is now fine and secured with the show continuing to show on Amazon? I understand that they've got it squared away and uh, there's no pending litigation as far as I know. Got it. Okay. And did you know who wasn't wanting it to go out? Was it directly the CIA that was trying to prevent that from happening? Well, I understand that uh, I don't want to get into that because um, basically there's no evidence that the CIA uh, was the one that was pressuring or whatever, threatening uh, Amazon. Uh, So I can't say that I know for sure, but I suspect it was the CIA. I, I'm only saying that is because if that's the case, I mean, it's best for the audience to go see it in case, God forbid, Amazon takes it down and they won't be able to show it. You know, it's, 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 uh, 
it creates a certain level of urgency for the audience to see what's really in that show. But but let's go back and talk a little bit about your career. I mean, you have a Hall of Fame type of a career, you know, uh, and, and if you were an athlete, you'd be in a Hall of Fame for what the work you've done. You know, they put you on a lot of different lists. Your name is constantly mentioned, mentioned by a lot of different people. But why don't you walk us back and, you know, share with us a little bit about some of the things you worked on as a DA agent and how did the Kiki come out in a project you know, come to you? Who made the phone call? How did that happen? How did you get that assignment? Well, I was assigned to work um, in Mexico. And I was sent to the hottest, most dangerous uh, area, which was the Sinaloa uh, area. Back then, it was a hotbed of violence and drug trafficking. And while there, I was involved in the longest shootout in the history of the DEA. I was involved in a shootout that lasted over two hours. During the shootout, we killed numerous uh, Mexican Colombian uh, drug traffickers. And also we had five very seriously wounded MFJP agents. Uh, we were able to fight the aggression for, like I said, two hours. I was able to get the wounded out. And uh, because of that, I was basically brought back to Washington and issued the U.S. Attorney General's Award for Heroism. That kind of put the spot on me with the agency. At the time that that happened, uh, the Camarena investigation had been going on for about four years. They needed somebody that could aggressively pursue the perpetrators and somebody that could basically recruit eyewitnesses. So they brought me out of Mexico after that horrendous gun battle, and they put me in charge of the Enrique Camarena case. What year was that? That was in 1989. That was in 1989 when you were put on the case. So the, the two-hour shootout in Sinaloa was what, 84, 85? 88. 88. So you got the award in 88, and Reagan was president at the time. Uh, yes, I believe he was, yes. Okay. So, so you're in Sinaloa. By the way, where are you from yourself originally? I'm originally from uh, Tucson, Arizona. You're from Tucson, Arizona, and your family. Where's your family lineage from? Well, I don't want to put out where my family is because I still have to protect them. But they're in Arizona. But, but meaning, are you also Mexican yourself? Well, I'm a Mexican uh, heritage, but I was born in the United States, okay. and my family has been here since the 1700s. Got it. Okay. Got it. Fair enough. Uh, I only asked to know that, you know, if that was a, like when I was in the military and I was in the army, I speak five languages. They wanted to send me to Tikrit uh, to go to Iraq because I spoke Farsi and I spoke all these other languages. And it was a leverage for me to, for them to leverage somebody like me to go there. I'm wondering if the DEA saw you as being the best person to go out there because you can also uh, uh, connect with the community. Well, that was one of the reasons I could connect with the community. I knew the culture. I speak Spanish like a, a native Mexican. I could travel to uh, Colombia, Bolivia, all over Central South America, working undercover, which I did. And I could blend easily, as, as, as you stated, because I speak Spanish fluently. When I was undercover in Colombia, I would identify myself as a Mexican citizen. I carried uh, the identification the credentials. Uh, of, a, of a Mexican uh, uh, individual, and I could easily blend in and out of those countries and pose as a Mexican. And of course, while working undercover here in the United States, 
I spoke Spanish or speak Spanish so well when, when that whenever the uh, traffickers were accused me of possibly being an undercover DEA agent or a narc, I would say, listen, guy, would you help me get some green papers and maybe I can apply and get a job with those guys? So they really, they really <laughs> took to me and trusted me a lot. Uh, I can see that. So uh, when you were in Colombia as an undercover, what year was that? Well, I was there numerous times, 82, okay. uh, also in the late 70s. I was in and out of Colombia. I, I was there, I don't know, five or six times. So was it during the era of Pablo or no? Absolutely. During the era of Pablo, I, was under, I never went undercover into Pablo himself, but I did penetrate the Ochoa organization out of Medellin, Colombia. So, yeah, I, I, I was in and out of Colombia. Did you ever do anything with Steve Murphy and Javier Pena or no? Uh, no, because uh, when I would go into Colombia, I would never meet the DEA agent stationed there. I stayed in hotels. I only communicated with the agents there via telephone. I was, I was ordered never to go to the embassy uh, so that my, uh, in case I was being followed, my undercover uh, situation wouldn't be uh, blown. So, no, I never met him, even though I was in and out of uh, Colombia when they were there. Got it. So, so 88, you're on that two-hour shootout, one of the longest ever, if not the longest ever. You get an award for it. You come back in 89, they sign you to go investigate what really happened with Kiki uh, Camarena. Who assigned you and what is the assignment? Meaning, are they saying, hey, Hector, we want you to find out what really happened to Kiki and those that assigned you was the DEA. So how was that process of you getting that assignment? It was out of frustration, I think, because they had a specialized team that came out of New York that were assigned uh, here to Los Angeles uh, to investigate the Camarena murder case. These folks did not speak Spanish. For the most part, uh, they were used to working the Italian mob. They were an elite group, but they did not understand the culture uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of, of Mexico. They didn't understand uh, the corruption and how deep it went. As a matter of fact, one time they brought me in from Mexico to ask me about the corruption. This is the Leyenda team that was investigating the case before me. And they asked me about the traffickers having uh, basically carrying uh, federal agent credentials and badges. And I said, no, they just don't carry the credentials and the badges. They hold the positions. And they go, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is that they not only carry the credentials and the badges, they actually are assigned 30 federal agents under their command. And I went on to give him an example. It would be like John Gotti being issued FBI credentials, but not just the credentials. He would also be a, a supervisor in the FBI and would, they would assign FBI agents under, their, under Gotti's command. They said, wow, is it that bad, Hector? And I said, yes, it is that bad in Mexico. These, these cartel members actually hold government positions in, law, in all aspects of law enforcement in Mexico. Uh, and, and that's because of the corruption back then in the government? Or is that that's because, you know, that was the model or because corruption, they're being bought out? It was uh, corruption that had basically been, you know, they, they took control of everything because of corruption. And it wasn't just back then. It continues to be even, that situation continues to exist today. And it's even worse today. It's even Mexico worse today than the 80s. Mexico in the eighties, in the eighties, it was, yeah, it was that corrupt. But it's it worse today. 
and it worse today. Interesting. So, so you get the assignment, and when you get the assignment throughout the process, I'm assuming you kind of knew what was going on with Kiki. Were you yourself curious where you really wanted to take the job and go and investigate more for yourself? Uh, yes. One of the main reasons, too, that I was placed in charge of the investigation is because I had been a homicide detective uh, before I came into the DEA. So they knew that I had homicide experience. When I came on the, uh, into the case, I was told that Camarena had been kidnapped and tortured by the drug lords because he had caused them great losses in seizing 10,000 tons of marijuana at the Buffalo um, Ranch growing area in Chihuahua, Mexico. That's what I was told and believed until I started looking into the case and I called the agent that had been in charge of the Buffalo Chihuahua seizures and asked him what Kiki's involvement was. And he told me to my surprise, he said, Hector, Kiki Camarena had nothing to do with a, with a seizure of the uh, 10,000 tons of marijuana at Buffalo. I said, are you sure? I am being told here that that was the main motive. And he said, Hector, that's a false narrative. They're not telling you the truth. Kiki did not participate in the raids. I know, I, I ran the raids. So at, at the very beginning, I started to think something's wrong here. Something doesn't smell right. Then I am able to recruit, believe it or not, a CIA operative working in Mexico. I had witnesses that were telling me that there was this white guy Anglo that was working within the Mexican Directorate of Federal Security, the DFS. They called him, his nickname was Torre Blanca because it means White Tower. And they called him White Tower because he was a very tall Anglo guy that was almost six, seven feet tall. And I wondered what is this guy doing working with the DFS in Mexico, that, that's incredible. I knew that the DFS had had something to do with Kiki's kidnapping. So I reached out to this guy. He had to have known what was going on uh, during the time that Camarena was picked up. I called him and I told him, I said, listen, uh, I, I, I am in charge of the Camarena case and I know you're working with the DFS and as you and I know, the DFS was involved in the kidnapping of Camarena, and I need you to come talk to me. And he said, I'm not going to talk to you. He said, Hector, you don't even know what you're involved in. He said, leave me alone. And I said, listen, if you don't cooperate with me, I'm going to kidnap your white ass, and I'll bring you up here. And you know that I'm serious, and you know that I'll do it, because I've already kidnapped one guy out of Mexico, referring to Dr. Machine. And I said, I'll kidnap your white ass. So he said, okay, okay. He said, uh, I'll, I'll meet with you. He said, you know, I can't go down there because by then I had a warrant for my arrest for kidnapping Dr. Machine who had injected drugs into Camarena. So he said, okay. Uh, he said, what, what, what are we gonna do? I said, I wanna send some of my agents to meet with you in Guadalajara and I want you to talk to them, but I really need you to come to the United States and talk to me. So basically, uh, I sent four agents down there. They set up a meeting at, at a hotel room in Guadalajara. An agent from Mexico City by the name of Dale Simpson shows up and he says he, um, he's, been, he's been told to participate in the interview. 
My agents called me. They said, hey, uh, something strange has happened. He said, another agent from Mexico City just arrived by the name of Dill Stinson, who said he's been ordered to partake in the uh, interview with Harrison. I said, I don't have a problem. Go ahead and let him participate. Well, Her uh, but this, 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 this DA agent named Dill Stinson requested to speak with Larry Harrison alone without, uh, without basically uh, away from, the, from, the, from being observed by, by my agents. He met with Larry in, a, in, a, in a, the hotel room alone. Three minutes later, Harrison, Larry Harrison, the CIA guy, comes out and says, hey, listen, I want nothing to do with you guys. I don't want to cooperate and left, upset. My agents then asked Dale Stinson, what happened? And uh, he said, well, I don't know. I guess the guy's got cold feet. He doesn't want to cooperate after all. And that was it. They came back empty-handed. It took me a year to find this guy again because he went and hid. I finally found him hiding in the Oaxaca Mountains of Mexico. I got him on the phone again. And I said, Larry, you need to come talk to me. There's no place you can run or hide. You see, I will always find you. You better come over here and cooperate with me. He said, okay, I'll agree to meet with you, but only in the United States. And nobody must know that I'm coming. He, we flew him to Los Angeles. I met with him. And during my initial interview, he told me, he said, Hector, he says, you don't know what you've gotten yourself into. We killed Kiki Camarena. I said, what do you mean we? He says, we both work for the same government. I'm a CIA operative. He said, and Camarena was ordered, kidnapped and to be interrogated by my agency, the CIA and NSC. I almost fell out of my chair. I said, what are you telling me? He says, yes. He said, we use the cartels uh, to, to assist us in, in, in picking and kidnapping him and interrogating him. I did not participate myself, but he said, my handler did. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was shocked. I gathered there was something very sinister from the very beginning of the investigation because I had worked in Mexico and the drug dealers, they don't take time to kidnap a guy, blindfold him, interrogate him, uh, make copies of the interrogation. When the cartel wants to kill somebody, they machine gun him down wherever he's at. They'll walk into an office, shoot somebody in an office, kill somebody in his car, kill somebody in front of his family in his house. But this was a very sinister, very, 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 very uh, strange investigation. Why was Kiki blindfolded? And why was he tape recorded? And Harrison gave me the answer because they wanted to know what he knew. What had happened, as I stated before, Camarena unknowingly, okay, uh, found out that the tons of cocaine were being flown into Caro Quinteros Ranch in Veracruz. So he started an investigation into that ranch in Veracruz. What Camarena did not know was that that ranch was being used by the NSC and the CIA to train Contras, and they were using that as a transshipment location to ship weapons from there directly to Ilipango, uh, where they were later issued to the Contra Freedom Fighters. Uh, to contact Freedom Fighters. Okay, let, let me go back to one thing you were telling the story about. You said 
if if you don't tell me, Larry, I'm going to come and kidnap your ass because, you know, I have a reputation of doing that. So this is 30 something years ago, 81, say 31 years ago, 30 years ago. What kind of a reputation did you have yourself? Were you somebody they feared? Were you cold? Who were you with your reputation you had built in a marketplace in your world? In my world, uh, I was chasing the big elephants, the big cartel guys in Mexico. I got a numerous shootouts with him. The shootout at the um, two-hour shootout that we referred to earlier, that was just one of the shootouts that I had been involved in in Mexico. They knew that I was hands-on down there chasing him. I had a reputation of a badass. I mean, they, they knew that I was, I, 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 would go, I would go toe-to-toe with him. They knew that I was not afraid of them, that I was constantly chasing them. Why were you not afraid of them? I was afraid of them, but I had a job to do. And I actually, I guess I was an adrenaline junkie. I, I, I like to be in, in dangerous situations, you know, like, a, like these fighter pilots. I mean, you get the adrenaline going and you kind of get addicted to it. And I guess I was an adrenaline addict. I don't know. Makes sense. I, I mean, it's 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 a bit, very common thing with folks in your world that they they get addicted to it once they get in. You realize very quickly if it's something for you or not, or if you get addicted, you're in. You may not be able to stop doing it, and it's tough to step away from it. So, so later on, you're doing this. You talk to Larry. He says, "We." You said, "What do you mean, we? We, as in we're all on it together." Why did they blindfold him? Because he had some information. So, as you're going about telling your story, what happens next? Well, Larry explains to me that the reason they blindfolded him was because the people that wanted him interrogated basically were, were Americans. And there was going to be Amer- at least one American that was going to be interrogating Kiki. The plan was not to kill him. The plan was to kidnap him, bring him to a place, interrogate him, waterboard him, not physically, you know, kick him, beat him, which they did. He was supposed to be waterboarded by a waterboarding expert. Their own guy, a CIA operative, was supposed to do the interrogating of Camarena and the waterboarding. And I later identified who this CIA operative was. So you later identify who the CIA operative was. This is the person you're talking to or the person that was supposed to waterboard him? No, the person that was supposed to waterboard him, another uh, major CIA operative, a well-known CIA operative, the CIA operative that kidnapped or basically tracked down uh, Che Guevara in South America and Bolivia and killed him and cut his hands off. The same CIA operative that was uh, involved uh, in putting a bomb on a plane that was leaving Venezuela with the Cuban uh, fencing team blew up in the air. The same Cuban that uh, had been assigned uh, to run operations in Vietnam, uh, operations uh, interrogating uh, Viet Cong. He was a major supervisor in Operation Phoenix in Vietnam, a very well, well known uh, CIA operative and a very personal friend of President, uh, President George W. Bush. Is this a name you can, you've re- re- revealed in the book or no? Is his name revealed in the book? Yes, it is. What's his name? Ismael Felix Rodriguez. Ismael? AKA, yes, Ismael Felix Rodriguez, a.k.a. Max Gomez. It took me a long time to identify this guy, 
by true name because the witnesses knew him only as Max Gomez. Did you ever get a chance to meet him face to face? No, but I would love to. You would love to meet him? Yes. Let's just say you did. What would you do to him? Well, if I would have met him when I was with DEA, I would have put him in handcuffs. And if I was to meet him now, I'd probably give him one beating for Kiki Camarena. Uh, did you have a relationship with Kiki? Yes, I did. How was he as an individual? I mean, I've interviewed others that knew him personally as well from that era. But how was, he, how was your experience with Kiki? Well, he, I, he wasn't a personal friend of mine, but he had a bad reputation too. I mean, a, uh, a reputation of being a badass like I did. He was a no-sense no -sense guy. He was a very serious guy. He had a very strong penetrating look about him. He, uh, he was uh, a pretty tough character and a great agent. Great agent. What, what makes a great agent in your world? In my world, a great agent is an undercover agent, a guy that goes after them, a guy that mixes it up with him, a guy that is not a disc jockey, uh, a guy that, uh, you know, doesn't want to run around in a stuffed white shirt uh, with a tie and, uh, uh, you know, wearing the old spice cologne and the college uh, graduation ring. Uh, he was he was like me. He was a he was a gunslinger like I was, and I respected him a lot for that. Got it. So 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 afterwards, once you found that out, were you uh, were you being told, hey, listen, Hector, just kind of back off a little bit more. This is enough. You've you've come enough. You don't need to say anything anymore. Just stay quiet. Move on with your life. Go about your business. Were you getting anybody that was messaging you to not pursue it anymore and just kind of back off? And not originally, they wanted me to go after and convict uh, the uh, people that were involved in, in killing, not only Camarena, they, they killed uh, four Jehovah Witnesses, the same cartel, which of course was the, the Guadalajara cartel. They had also killed two Americans at a restaurant owned by Rafael Caro Quintero, John Walker and Alberto Radalet. And I personally wanted to go after these guys because, you know, they, 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 they not only just killed the Americans, they, the women were raped uh, viciously in front of their husbands, uh, the husbands, the, the Jehovah Witnesses women were. Uh, the two Americans that were killed at, at the restaurant that I mentioned, uh, John Walker and uh, Albert Radalette, not only were they just killed, they were dismembered. I mean, they were decapitated, they were all cut up. And before they were actually killed, they bone tingled them to investigate them. These are very, very vicious uh, criminals. And I, I wanted to exert some revenge, especially against, uh, against uh, the, 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 the perpetrators that raped the women. You know, they raped them. And then after that, they ran a rope between their legs, torturing them. What vicious animals? So I wanted to go after them. And, when, and, and unfortunately, one of those guys, one of those suspects that was involved in raping the Jehovah Witnesses is about to be released here in a couple of weeks. Jose Bernabe Ramirez. So I, 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 I wanted vengeance and I wanted to arrest these guys. Did you ever get your vengeance? I got some vengeance. I mean, I got in shootouts with them and I, I took some, some of their lives. They also shot up some of my guys and they killed my friend Camarena. But hey, it was a war. It was war and uh, we, we were going at it at each other. 
So, so going back at it, when you look at these uh, four uh, major cartels, you have the Guadalajara cartel, which is by uh, the name you just mentioned, Rafael Caro Quintero, who is in a lot of songs, you know, a lot of uh, uh, corrido, you know, a lot of songs that they name him and they uh, uh, glorify him. Then you have the Tijuana cartel with uh, Enedina Ariano Felix. Then you have the Sinaloa cartel, which is El Chapo. And you have the Juarez cartel, which is Rafael Aguilar uh, Guardo, I believe. Which one of those four is known as the most vicious feared cartel? Right now, I would say it's the Sinaloa cartel. As a, uh, the Sinaloa cartel is in war with the uh, Chapitos, which is the um, Chapo Guzman's sons. They're in war with each other right now. The Sinaloa cartel is very much protected right now by the current administration. The Chapitos and the Mela Generacion, which is another uh, drug cartel, are being supported by the uh, PRI guys, uh, the guys that formerly um, basically had the presidency under Enrique Peña Nieto. See, in Mexico, the cartels are powerful and do things with impunity because they have government protections. If they were not protected by the government or had not been protected by the government back in 1985, they wouldn't have dared pick up Camarena. But because they had the DFS working with them, they had the Mexican Federal Police, police working with them, they had, they had the Jalisco State Police with them. This is what gave them the power. And to this day, they have that kind of support by the corrupt, inept Mexican government. At that time, so you say today it's an Aloha cartel. Who was the strongest at that time? Was it Guadalajara by uh, Rafa? Well, back back uh, at the time that Kiki was picked up in 85, it was the Guadalajara cartel. And they, by the way, they were the only cartel at the time. We dismantled that cartel by arresting their, their, their um, jefe de jefes, their leader, Ernesto Fonseca Carrillo, Facaro uh, Quintero, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo. We arrested all those guys. So after, after we destroyed the Guadalajara cartel, the other little car, cartel started springing up. Felix Gallardo, when we arrested him, gave his part of uh, the cartel to Felix Arellano brothers out of Tijuana, the Felix Arellano brothers, Ramon and, and, and Jorge and, th and those guys. El Chapo Guzman and Widow Palma, they formed their own cartel. And of course, they broke off with the Sinaloa, I mean, Guadalajara cartel, started their own cartel, and they, they started being supplied their cocaine by the Cali cartel. Now, the Guadalajara cartel had been receiving their cocaine from uh, Pablo Escobar out of the Medellin cartel. Got it. Got it. So when you're saying support, you're saying the Mexican government is supporting El Chapo's son or uh, several of these cartels. They have the back end of the government. Totally. Okay. So, so when, when Rafael Caro uh, Quintero went to jail, I think, I don't know the exact time he did 26 years, but he went and he did some time. And at the time, did you ever get a chance to meet him and be face to face with him or no, you never had a chance to meet Rafa? No, I never met him personally. How, I, was, what? Uh, I, I, was, I was very much involved in his arrest though, even though I was, I wasn't there. So, so based on him, how was he at that time? Because you know, he was very charming, very charismatic, very, you know, almost kids grew up looking up to this guy with the energy that he had. How powerful was he at that time in the middle, in the mid 80s? 
Okay, before he was 30 years old, he was not a millionaire. He was already a billionaire. And I know because I found his money. Here is a guy, 28, 29 years old, has access to jets. He bought his own deer jet in Tucson, Arizona. He was very powerful, very, very powerful. But he was very, very uneducated and not, not very smart. Okay, I'll say that about him. He wasn't very smart, but he was feared. He was absolutely, he was, he was feared. Uh, at one time, uh, he was uh, given as a gift a, 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 real, a real nice, uh, uh, I heard, 38 caliber pistol. And to try it out, he just shot somebody in a bar just to try it out. Killed a person. That's how vicious he was. Got it. And, and when you think about when the story comes out with Kiki, you hear two different names. Both of them are co-founders of, of the Guadalajara cartel, whether it's Miguel Gallardo or it's Rafa Caro Quintero. So who is the person that actually killed Kiki? Well, they were all involved. Uh, they were all there. They all wanted to hear what Kiki had to say. They all participated in slapping him, kicking him, spitting on him, pulling his hair. That, that type of situation, they burnt him uh, with cigarettes. And they also would open up AK-47 cartridges, pour the powder over his chest and light him up. He was burnt bad. They all participated in, there wasn't, I guess, one of them that didn't go into the room where he was being held. They didn't at least slap him. Everybody was trying to act more macho and kicking and slapping a poor man that was hogtied. I mean, these are real animals. I want to show you a video, and I'm curious to know, get your reaction on this. When you see this video of Rafa from back in the days, what do you think about when you see this video? I'm, I'm curious to get your reaction. Bueno, si yo también quisiera muchas cosas, pero no se puede. No debo nada con Estados Unidos. Póngale que sí haya eh, de lo que tengo que sea de siete ocho casas que tengo que sean dos narcotráfico, pero seis no son. ¿Por qué el narcotráfico, Rafael? ¿Cómo? No lo ¿Por qué te dedicaste? ¿Por qué te Me gustó. Me gustó. ¿Por qué? Porque te daba dinero fácil. Porque no, nada, nada es fácil, señorita. No, pues, pero ¿por qué te gustó? ¿Qué no, te incentivó? No, no, no sé. ¿Cuánto tiempo hace que tienes estas actividades? Un año o dos. ¿Sientes arrepentimiento ahora? ¿Qué le dijera? Arrepentido nunca estoy. Lo hecho ya está hecho. Y ya estoy aquí. ¿Qué quiere que haga? Tengo dos líneas de trailer. Tengo este, fábricas de, de bloqueras y eso. Hago como 100 mil bloques diarios. Oiga, Rafael, ¿cuál es su verdadera relación con Don Leto? ¿Cómo lo conoció? Desde que nací lo conozco. Desde que nací lo conozco. ¿Y qué tipo de relación ha llevado? Que somos compadres nada más y este, socios no hemos sido. ¿Cuál es su relación con Félix Gallardo, señor? Una. ¿No lo conoces? No, señor. No lo conozco. ¿Qué quisiste conocer Costa Rica? Me dicen que era un país muy tranquilo y por lo que veo, no. Así Nosotros te hemos visto en muchas ocasiones eh, sonreír. ¿Te consideras un tipo simpático? No, no simpático, nada más que me siento seguro de mí mismo. Y este. Y, 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 todo aquí adentro, pero pues un día he de salir afuera. ¿Qué espera de la vida? 
What do you think about when you see him speaking in that video? What I think about it, it upsets me. He's, uh, I know he's living in a golden cage. He is permitted and taken out to have dinners at restaurants while he's in custody. Uh, he's allowed to carry a gun in his cell. He uh, basically living a very nice life while incarcerated. And he knows that sooner or later, he'll be able to buy himself out. Uh, as you see, he's, he's, he seems very happy. He doesn't seem like he's being punished at all. Now, you know, the, the challenge is a lot of people uh, uh, say he still has money, but you've seen the interview he did where he said, I don't have any money. You know, I'm broke. People are giving me food. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with life right now, et cetera, et cetera. Based on you having more information than the rest of us, do you think he still has a lot of the money he had before in the power, or do you think he doesn't have anywhere close to the power he had back in the 80s? I know he has a lot of money in Panama. If, if you recall, it was a, the Panama Papers investigation that came out about two years ago. Mm -hmm. He has millions of money of dollars in Panamanian accounts. When I investigated him back in 85, we, I, my team, the Leyenda team, found almost a billion dollars that he had at a Luxembourg bank uh, in Germany. Now we seized that money and we later found out that that money also went back then uh, to Ali North in support of the Contras. That billion dollars back then, and this is a billion dollars back in the 80s. Back in, in 1985. Well, 89 actually is when we found it. So they, they show that there's a $20 million reward on him. Is there still the reward or was that back in the days? I see the number $20 million all over the place. He is uh, the, the most wanted agent by the FBI. And there is a $20 million reward for anybody that will turn him in. But nobody's going to turn him in because he is now jefe de jefes of the Caborca cartel. He has he's had recently uh, formed his own cartel Sonora, and in the last three or four months, he has killed over 20 people. He himself? Back in the game. So he's back in the game? Yes. And is that proven? Is that something that people know? Yes, it's known. What's, what's his level? Papers in Mexico, the shootouts. Uh, basically, there's been a lot of killings, and uh, he is at war also with the Chapo Guzman uh, organization, with the Chapitos. Chapo so they're together. They're, they're united. They're running together. No, they're, they're warring with each other. They hate each other. They're warring with each other. Okay, got it. They yeah. can't stand each other. Who's more? You, but Sinaloa is more powerful than they are today. I believe that the, 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 the strongest, more prolific right now cartel in Mexico is the Sinaloa cartel, which is being run by El Mayo Zambada. Got it. Um, when you think about the corridos, when you listen to the songs, do you listen to any corridos yourself or no? Yes, I do. Okay, so I have a lot of friends who are from Michoacán or Jalisco or Zacatecas or Oaxaca or any of these places, and uh, I'll sit in the car and they'll play some corridos. And the music, I'm Middle Eastern, I can't help but my hips just start moving itself. It's like automatic, you know, because the music goes. But whether it's the old school Chalino Sanchez or the new school Tercer Elemento, how do you feel when you hear these songs and they're, you know, they're building up Rafa, they're, they're portraying him as a hero. How do you see that when you see the music? It upsets me a lot, especially the one where it's titled 
yo no maté a Camarena, I didn't kill Camarena, when, when we know he was very much involved. As a matter of fact, uh, when Kiki was basically in agony, uh, Fonseca, who was a head of the hippies, uh, ordered uh, him basically taken to a hospital. That's when they brought in Dr. Machine. Kiki was not supposed to be killed. And uh, so Fonseca was very upset that was upset that, that, that Kiki had been tortured so severely. And uh, he ordered Machine to go ahead and take him to a hospital. And Caro Quintero intervened and he said, nope, he's not going to no hospital. He's a DEA agent. We cannot, you know, take that chance of taking him to a hospital. Fonseca said, but the, he's going to die. He says, I don't give a shit. Let him die. And Fonseca was so mad that he slapped uh, Caro Quintero so hard in the face that he almost knocked him down. As a matter of fact, my witnesses, which were some of the pistoleros, uh, they all went for their guns. And of course, Caro Quintero's gunmen also went for their guns. And according to what they tell me, they would have outgone Carlos Quintero's guys because there was more of them uh, providing protection for Fonseca than Carlos, Carlos had protecting him. But Carlos Quintero is a, is a dummy because can you imagine had they not killed Camarena, how big they would be now? How big would they have been? Oh my God. They would basically be controlling the whole government of Mexico. As it was, I mean, they 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 entertained presidents. Uh, they they would they would make trips to Los Pinos, which is Mexico's White House. I have two witnesses that went uh, with Fonseca to meet with President de la Madrid on a couple of occasions at, at Los Pinos. This is the the kind of influence they already had. So you know, you're, you're you said earlier that the the cartel is stronger today than before. Why, why do you say that? Why do you say the cartel is stronger today than before? Because we have access to better technology. There is better ways to do surveillance. Why do you think the cartel is stronger today than before? Because in the old days when um, Ernesto Fonseca Carrillo was, was uh, running the, the cartels, he had very strict rules. There was no intervention allowed with the regular citizens of Mexico. If they, if they killed anybody that was not part of, of, of their cartel network without a reason, that was death to those guys. In other words, he had a federation. He would have meetings with them and say, okay, what's going on? I'm not gonna allow any, uh, any disorder. I'm not gonna allow any violence. And no, you're not going to kidnap people. You're not gonna extort money from people. That was not allowed by, by Fonseca. He had strict control and rules. The cartels now, they extort from the citizens. They pick up girls and rape them. Uh, they're out of control. Look, look at what they just did last year to the LeBron family, the, the Mormons that were massacred November the 5th, uh, 2019, that were traveling to uh, Mexico uh, to a wedding. It was, there, was no, there was no grown men in that group. There was 13 women and children and the cartel were mad at the LeBron because they had not been paying uh, extortion monies every month. They had refused to. And this was done to basically instill fear in them and bring them into line so that they could be extorted. They were so vicious that after shooting the uh, nine women and children, there were three babies left in baby chairs. 
and they lit fire to the cars and burnt those babies to death. Oh, gosh. And that would never have happened during the uh, uh, Guadalajara cartel days. The old man would have not permitted that. And, and now they're and out of control. Ernesto Fonseca, is he kind of like the, uh, the, the lucky Luciano of the Italian mob? Is, is that kind of a way of putting it where he was a chairman? He kind of led all the families together? Absolutely. He was the jefe de jefes. He ruled with an iron fist. He issued the different plazas or areas where everybody was going to be working. Uh, he had the Arellanos in, in Tijuana. He had uh, Juan Garcia Abrego in Texas. He doled out the different areas. And everybody was working under his command. Everybody was working underneath him. It wasn't until after, like I said, we destroyed the Guadalajara cartel that all these little cartels started springing, springing up all over the place and they started warring with each other. And that's why it's worse now than it ever was back in 1985. You think it will settle down? You think it'll ever calm down? Never. Not why do you say until, never? Until we intervene. And what does we mean? We as United States or we as the Mexican the government? States. As a matter of fact, President Trump offered to send SEALs, Army Rangers into Mexico to deal with the cartels once for all uh, after the Lebanon murders there in, in Sonora. And Lopez uh, Obrador would have nothing to do with it. Who wouldn't have nothing to do with it? The president of Mexico. He said that he was not, he didn't want a war with the cartels, that he was going to solve the drug problem with abrazos, not balazos, with hugs, uh, not bullets. That's what he, he really said that. Trump. He said that. He said that to President Trump, yes. He's going to solve it with hugs, not weapons. Yes, without bullets. Balazos means bullets in Spanish. Balazos means bullets. Wow. Right. I mean, it's tough to, uh, when somebody's using bullets and you want to go hug them, you're probably going to end up having a bullet in your back when you do that. You know, it's a different kind of a war you're fighting. So are you saying, um, are you saying, so you said the only way it'll happen is if we help them, America. So maybe it's not America. Maybe it's a different kind of a leader that Mexico needs to have that's willing to cooperate with America. So what is the chances of Mexico having a president that's willing to cooperate with U.S.? You know, it's hard because drugs, you know, they corrupt people. I mean, Look at the money that Peña Nieto got, for instance, from uh, El Chapo Guzman. It came out during the trial, it was exposed, there was plenty of testimony that he was given $250 million. And that wasn't enough for Peña Nieto. He wanted more money. And let me tell you another thing. Who do you think funds the campaigns for these guys that, that come in, like sure. the new president? Yeah. If the cartels funded yeah. that, Lopez Obrador. He, he had tried to... Uh, win the presidency before and it wasn't until he partnered up with the biggest narco politico in mexico uh manuel bartlett diaz he brokered the 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 the, the, the arrangement between the cartels and uh, uh lopez Obrador's political party and that is really why the reason he's a president he's been holding to these guys i specifically remember that article that came out on how much money was being uh uh, 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 paid to uh, uh, win uh, uh, power over the political power by the cartel. I remember that article. I don't know if it was a Wall Street Journal article, but I remember vividly reading uh, that article. But uh, so, so when you when you see Trump building the wall, 
uh, how do you view that? You're somebody that's been on both sides. You've somebody, you're somebody that's seen the good, the bad, the ugly, the ugliest of what happens out there. What do you think about the wall being built? Is it going to do anything to protect the southern border? We need the wall. It's not just basically impeding drugs from coming in. What about our enemies? What about uh, the Taliban and, and all of the enemies that we have in the world? They can come in through a porous border also. It's not just drugs. We, believe it or not, we need that wall for our national security. Just, just not to have a wall and have people come in and out. We're, we're gonna get terrorists in here. We're gonna, get, we're gonna be inundated with drugs and we need that wall. Did you see the last debate that took place where the topic of coyotes came out? Yes, I did. What are your thoughts when that conversation came came back and forth about what happens when these coyotes are bringing the uh, you know kids over? What 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 does that look like for some that have no clue what that looks like? Can you educate some of uh, the folks that don't know what the business model of coyotes is? Coyotes are criminals, like any other criminal. They do not only smuggle in humans, they also smuggle in drugs, and they'll smuggle in terrorists. They're there to make a buck. They are criminals. They actually uh, pay people to lend their women and children to pose as children coming in with criminals. Let's say that a drug organization wants to uh, bring in, uh, let's say an assassin. What they'll do is they'll go to a coyote. The coyote will pay a family to lend a small child to the assassin so that he can bring, come in and say, I'm here with my daughter, I'm here with my child. And he'll, they'll probably let him in, okay? So coyotes are criminals like any, any other criminal. They're there to make an illegal, illegal dollar and they'll do anything to include bringing in drugs, to include uh, providing uh, drug traffickers with children so that they could basically claim they're, they're their kids. They're into all of this criminality. How do you know this yourself? You know this because you're, you've seen it, you witnessed it, or you hear about it from your peers? I, I, I investigated it even back then it was happening. Back in, the, back in 85, this is nothing new. They've used these tactics and techniques since way back. And you think the wall is going to help that, minimize it? Absolutely. I think it'll, 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 it'll help. It's not going to stop it. They're always going to figure a way to bring in drugs and basically bring in uh, uh, humans, uh, do the human trafficking. They're just going to find another way to do it. They'll either fly them in or bring them in by boat or dig more tunnels that we've seen. They will always figure out a way to get uh, their drugs in. So, so last thought on this topic before we move on. So based on what you're saying is you, you don't see this cartel model slowing down for decades and decades and decades. That is correct. As, as long as there's a demand for drugs, there will be those that are going to provide him the cartels It's not going to stop in Mexico until we go in and clean it up. And I don't even know if this country really wants to clean it up. This has been going on for years. Our CIA, everybody knows, inundated our country with, with cocaine. Our CIA was the biggest cocaine cartel in the, in the late 80s and into the 90s. They created a generation of crack addicts in the inner cities. 
Look at all the violence that came behind all of that when you had the Bloods and the Crips killing each other over drug turfs. Look at all the, please, look at all the overdoses. Look at all the families that were affected by the CIA inundating our inner cities with cocaine. How do you think I felt as a DEA agent when I was told, go arrest that that person, anybody, white, black, it doesn't matter. Go arrest him. He's, he's got 10 ounces of cocaine for sale. I would go arrest him, take him to trial. He would get 15, 20 years in prison. Then we would go and stop a plane that had 20 tons of cocaine. And it was a CIA plane with a CIA operative. And we were told, oh, don't do nothing to him. That's a CIA operation. Leave it alone. We knew they were inundated our cities with, with cocaine. I knew it. I was involved in the Blandon raising in, 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 the, in the 80s, Danilo Blandon, who was a, a Contra official who was inundating South Central with, with cocaine. He was the one that was uh, supplying Highway Ricky Ross with hundreds of kilos of cocaine. Yeah, we've had Rick Ross here as well, and we've had conversation with him too. Uh, before here. Let, let, let me ask you, which one of the former presidents of Mexico was close to being able to go against uh, the cartel and he wasn't afraid of it? For instance, Vicente Fox, or was there ever a Mexican president that there was a slight chance of things changing in Mexico? Or no, any president that gets in, they're pretty much bought out. Not in my time. When I was with DEA, we always had information that the presidents were protecting the drug lords and were getting money and also drugs for their personal use from the drug lords. Got it. Okay. Uh, last question here before we wrap up is, uh, have you seen the show Narcos, both Colombia and uh, Mexico? Yes, I have. How accurate is it from somebody that's been in that world, from your eyes? It's all, I would say it's like 90% uh, creative writing. Most of it is not true. I don't like show because they glamorize the drug lords in the last episode uh, they uh, show i forget his name the actor that was playing gallardo's role inviting kiki to a dinner as he's being held they cater food for kiki as he's being held and he's asking kiki to please cooperate um yeah it was diego luna the actor that was playing that part i wanted to vomit you know why do they do this why do they want to glamorize a stone killer a sociopath, which is what Gallardo was. Why do they do that? That's not true. Kiki wasn't even offered a glass of water. Please give me a break. You can tell there's emotions there with you. I mean, you, you're, you're someone that was involved and it's uh, easily felt just uh, listening to you here uh, from where you're at. So, you know, I'll give you the last thoughts here right now. Uh, just to know that our audience has seen a lot of different stories. They've sat here and watched Steve Murphy and Javier Pena. They've sat here and listened to Sammy, the Bull Gravano. We've had a lot of different mobs. We've had people that are political. We've had presidents on. We've had billionaires on. What are your final thoughts you want to say to the viewer on the relationship between U.S., the borders, Mexico, southern borders, cartel? What are some final thoughts you want to leave the viewer with? What I want to leave the viewer with is this. I cannot believe that to this day, there are identified suspects in the murder of Camarena in our country that have not been indicted and arrested. I tried to arrest these folks 
and I was told to back off. And I think it is time that the American public know that our government has not protected them from these cartels. Our government itself was involved in inundating our country with drugs. They did not care of who died of overdoses. They did not care of all the bloodshed that, that their drugs were causing in our inner cities. All they care about was funding a capricious war that had not been authorized by the US government. Corruption continues greatly in Mexico, but there's also a lot of corruption here. I was hoping that with my documentary, The Last Narc, that it would basically get the attention of people and say, what are we doing here? Why are these people that were involved in, in Kiki's murder, like the CIA operative and an American corrupt agent that set up Kiki, why have they not been arrested and you know, put to justice? I wanna, I wanna invite people to read, it's all here in my book, you know, The Last Narc. I, I encourage him to read and, and I have a lot of information that I have not basically talked about here in this program that they need to know. They need to know the mysterious ways and the corrupt ways that our intelligence agencies involve themselves with these drug cartels. Not just back then, I believe they're still doing it to this day. The CIA funds all their operations with drug monies. Till today. Wow. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put the link to your book below. We're going to put the link to your uh, uh, series below as well. Then Last Narc on Amazon. Go watch it before there's a conflict and they take it down as well as I believe you're starting a YouTube and a podcast called Cartel Madness. We'll put the link below for that as well. Uh, having said that, Hector, thank you so much for taking the time for sharing your story on Valuetainment. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Different kind of a perspective, right? Coming from a DA agent when he tells you what's really going on in Mexico with the cartel and uh, what happened in the 80s versus today. And by the way, if you enjoyed this interview, I also did another interview with Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, who were the two DA agents that went up against Pablo Escobar. If you've never seen that, click over here. The title of the video is Who Killed Pablo Escobar? Uh, it's a riveting story if you've never seen it before. And if you're not subscribed to the channel, please do so. Thanks for watching, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.